athletes, take your mark. Get set. It's time for the Addict to Athlete Podcast. Everybody out there, Coach Blue Robinson here. Thank you so much for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. We greatly appreciate you doing so. If you haven't yet, please jump on the website, addicttoathlete.org. You'll find all of our backlog podcasts, information about the team, resources, and hey, even an opportunity for you to go do some Christmas shopping in our team store. Believe it or not, we have a lot of merchandise in that store, and we can get it out to you uh, before the, uh, the the slate even hits the top of the roof. So please jump on addicttoathlete.org and check that out. Even more so, I want to thank everybody who's been helping us with our Project Elf as we enter the month of September, or, or sorry, December, and we're looking at helping more people. Your charitable donations have really gone a long way to help us, you know, fight some of the poverty, fight some of the addiction, and help these kids get Christmas. So thank you so much for everyone who shared uh, their talents, their times, their resources, and their financial with Addict to Athlete through the Project Elf. Athletes, today got a great guest in studio, one of our first guests in studio. I'm so excited to have him here, which is kind of funny because for the last freaking like 12 years, we've needed to do this, but it's taken that long to get him in here. Um, some of you guys might remember uh, our, our guest when he helped open the Salt Lake chapter of Addict to Athlete way back in the day. And uh, today we have from 1% Fitness, Rob Mulling. Rob, we go, we go deep, man. We go, pre- we go back pretty far in a lot of different angles and ways. It's funny we've never sat down before, but welcome to the podcast, brother. How you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. It's good to have you here, man. And like I said, we do. We have so many like crisscrossing life events. Like it's, it's the craziest thing. I don't think anybody uh, really understands how connected you and I like, truly are from sisters, from families to neighborhoods. You know, from from you know, professions, all kinds of things. It's been funny how we've kind of crisscrossed so much, isn't it? It's wild. That's so cool. Well, Rob, why don't you introduce yourself to the team? Um, like I said, some of the old timers they're going to remember you, but and a lot of people do know you because you've been you've been a heavy hitter in in recovery in in the industry in your own personal and private business endeavors. And uh, yeah, man, tell us a little bit about you, and we'll just jump into this. Um, so yeah, I'm Robert Moling, um, born and raised in Utah. Right there by, you know, the Sage Vista Drive area or the Sage, you know, Sage, Sage Drive area. Drive. Know yeah. it well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know I've uh, struggled with addiction for most of my life. Um, you know, that background, um, you know, watched my mom uh, basically, you know, take her own life mm-hmm. in, a, in a long period, right? An extended right. period from substance. So, you know, it's it's been prevalent. Um, also, you know, my brother. Yeah. Um, lots and lots of friends. So it's, it's, you know, substance abuse not only is addicted or has affected my, you know, family and friends, but also myself as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, too, is, you know, working in, in this industry and then kind of being on, I'd say, on the ground level of building relationships with people that you come in contact with. Man, these stories that everyone kind of has, uh, you start realizing the circles get smaller and smaller. And when you start losing loved ones and you start battling for so long, sometimes you think, do I even have a chance of overcoming this? And, you know, addictions rocked your world on several different occasions. Um, I'm curious, man, how come you've never taken that final knee? Why have you never given up the fight? Because you fight hard. I've, I've seen it. You, you don't you don't take it laying down, I should say. Why not? Uh, there's a lot to live for. Um, you know, as a youth, I didn't have a whole lot to live for. And I really didn't care, and I didn't see myself living past 21 years old. Mm. So I never planned a future. Um, but as I started having kids and realizing my purpose and how I could be effective and didn't want to waste my life mm-hmm. sitting in a jail cell, um, it became obvious to me yeah. what I needed to do. Dude, I, I love that. You know, you and I, it's kind of funny. Like you say, that sage circle, you know, that's kind of where we moved uh, about a couple of years after Merce and I were married. And we bumped into your family. You know, it's kind of a funny thing. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a story that we've talked on Addict to Athlete before about uh, your sister Kylie, who, you know, in this weird kind of bizarre universe, like um, found out that my biological dad was hanging out with your mom. And that meant that Kylie would have been kind of like a stepsister, which means your stepbrother. Like, how cool is this? Like this family that I never knew existed kind of there, right? Um, but it was wild, man, because we've, man, we've crossed paths so many times. And I've watched, I've watched, you know, from the sidelines to a degree. But then, like you said, you helped create Addict to Athlete up in Salt Lake County. So all you Salt Lake athletes up there, you know, Rob was the one that got the ball rolling up there. Um, but you did. You said that you didn't know, like, what purpose life had for you. 
Um, when did you start zeroing in on leaving that addiction behind and really doing your best to create something? Because you created your own company, and that kind of came out of a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Lots of blood, sweat, and tears. A lot <laughs> of sacrifice. Um, I would say around 28 years old was finally the time that I was like, you know what, something needs to change. And it was also the first time that I was offered any type of treatment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the judicial system, they'll offer you, oh, you can go to probation therapy or you can do this. And it's just a Band-Aid because you're yeah. not really focusing on, you know, they want you to stop offending. But there's ways to cheat it and get by it. And I've tried it all and I've mm -hmm. done it all. And the end result was the exact same every single time. A lot of misery and then right back in, you know, right back into a jail cell. Right. And then right back into the system. Mm. And so... When I had my daughter around the year, you know, when I was 28 years old, um, facing a lot of jail time, multiple felonies, um, it clicked on, you know, it finally clicked because I went and watched the birth of my daughter um, from work release. I got released for 24 mm. hours to go watch her be born. Um, and, and even in that period of time, like when I was in work release, I was still watching people use substance. And one of the defining moments was is, um, and, and I've had, you know, I've tripped up since then, but, mm -hmm. you know, one of the, the biggest defining moments is I was sitting in a jail cell and I'd just been removed from, you know, the kitchen area yeah. where it's privileged. And I went back to intake and there was a gentleman that was using heroin um, in the cell. And I stopped and I said a small prayer and I had been removed from the kitchen because I was the only person left with a radio in the whole correctional institution. Right. And they caught me, and they're like, ah. And so the deputy came in probably 6 p.m. after her shift was, was over, and, um, you know, people were started using heroin around, like, 1 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And um, I turned it down. They're like, we want you to use it so you, we know that you're not going to tell on us. So I was like, oh, no. Man. Stood my ground. And then the deputy shows up, and she's like, we're taking you back into the kitchen. And I was like, you're like that was close. Yeah. Yeah, um, man. And That's then an answer to a prayer to a certain degree, yeah. It was. And literally in that cell I put a the sheet over my head and just lay there and it smelled like shit mm -hmm. um because that's how they were you know getting it out of their body yeah and everybody in the room was high as a kite and um as I got moved back over there I was still facing you know I still hadn't been sentenced right um and then fast forward I finally get sentenced and they say you can go do treatment and that was one of the biggest moments that, you know, changed my life was having an opportunity in knowing the people that I was working with in that treatment center, which was the Haven, yeah. that they actually cared. Right. Right. He's going to make me cry. I told you, dude. <laughs> You're going to make me cry, brother. That's why I've, I mean, that's why I've deleted having you on here because it's emotional stuff for both of us. But, but yeah. That's the thing, though. Why, Rob, why so long before you think that treatment was available? Because like you, you're right. There's so many things that happened. And trust me, there were things and warning signs way before that. But, like, it wasn't until that spot, that time when it was finally there. Things have changed a little bit since then. But all in the same breath, how did you fall through the cracks so much? Like, how did you stay out of the eye of, of authority or, you know, the powers that be for so long? Um, I would say a lot of manipulation, right? Yeah. Like I knew the self-preservation, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, don't... I knew the things to say. I knew the things to do. I knew the hoops that I needed to jump through. And so I did all of those. Um, and I would just move from substance to substance when I, you know, whatever wouldn't show up on the, on the drug test mm -hmm. is what I would use. And I did that for a really long time. Um, and I kept getting the same result. You know, I would meet new friends in there and, or what I thought were my friends. And then I'd go associate with them on the outs or outsides. Yeah. Um, and I'd either watch them die or then I'd watch them go back to jail. And it, it, there was no point where it was like, this is too much. Um, and I continued that cycle for a really long time. Right. And, and I think back in, I can't even, it's been a long time. Um, originally when I got my first charges, when I was, you know, 12 years old, um, they just put you into, to, a, a probation and yeah. then. Uh, fast forward to around when I was 18, the first two official charges I got were felonies. And so they're like, well, you're not going to be able to do treatment. And so it just progressed. And I kept stacking charges mm -hmm. on charges. I'd get out for two to three months, reoffend, probation violation, whatever the case is, new, new charges, and then right back up in there. Yeah. Jeez. You know, I, I think about that too. And I'm like, yeah, like who was watching? And the thing is, is, is like really nobody. Like that's the, that's the hard thing. Like, you know, knowing some of your background, knowing some of your family and just kind of what I've been through myself, like when no one's watching, you do things like that to kind of be seen, even if it's not, 
you know, the best to, I guess, like, like you know, pr- projection for a future. But when did people start watching you? You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm not talking about like, like law enforcement. You said you had a daughter. You have someone now, now it's new set of eyes watching you. Does that make sense? Like all of a sudden these people, they're like, we need you. They start watching you. What's the difference between that kind of responsibility where it's like, dad, we need you versus law enforcement. Like, hey, we're trying to find you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like what's the difference when they have, when you have those eyes on you? Uh, I think it's the impact. And even after I had my daughter, I still messed up, right? I still had uh, slip ups and I still failed and went back into jail. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the impact that you leave on them when you realize, you know what, this is another life that's dependent on me and what I do, they're watching and they're sponges. Like I have a 17 month, you know, a 17 month old and all the way up to a 17 year old right now. And everything that I do, um, they watch. They're watching. Like with my daughter, she'll say phrases or things or do specific things or behave in certain manners, uh, whether it's anger or something like that, they replicate it. They're they're just miniature sponges. And so when you see that behavior inside of them, you're like, man, what do I need to fix so I don't replicate this same effect on them? And so they have the same failures and issues and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, again, we'll, we'll we'll start hitting below the belt here because I'd love to know your thoughts on this. That responsibility, I know when I took it upon myself to become a father, like that was a weird thing for me because I had really crap examples of like the parenting in my life. I was scared of it, man. I was like, you know, I knew it was coming, but I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, am I really going to be a parent? You know, because like dads in my world, they, they hurt kids. So I'm like, ah, so I'm holding this little infant on a pillow, you know, my, my, my 19 year old now. And I'm like scared to death to touch her because dads hurt kids. And I'm like, it took me a long time to be like, no, those dads hurt kids. I don't have to be that. I can do the opposite. How did you wrap your head around that after kind of, I mean, flowing down the same turbulent river that I did to a certain degree? How did you like wrap your head around, like even, you know, with some of the mess ups, like, dude, I've got to get this straight. I've got to be here. How did you answer those questions? I think the moments when like, because I went back to rehab and I had to see my child again from, you know, a correctional institution or from that space and it's like what what am I what trickle effect am I going to pass down and how much hardship are they going to have to go through because what I've done mm. and at this point in time I want to prevent any you know any pain that they're going to have I want to see if I can prevent that and teach them how to be provo- you know productive humans for sure not not just in the sense of hey I'm doing things but actually good humans that care about other people's emotions and feelings cuz when you're in <laughs> heavy addiction you're like Number one, number yeah. one, number one. You don't it's care about, about anybody else. Mm-hmm. Dude, I love that, man. I love that. But that's the thing. And, and I love it, listeners, that you're hearing Rob talk about it. Like, it wasn't just a one and done. There were struggles. And I think sometimes we forget that there's times when that path to recovery is going to be rocky. And you're going to have some down moments. And that's when you really need that support of people to be like, dude, dust yourself off. Pick yourself back up. Let's go. But you also did a lot of that yourself. Like, you like okay, I know what I'm capable of. I know what I can do. This is what I need to change. When did you start really feeling the magnitude of like, I've got to leave this behind? And that means sacrificing the relationships, the friends, cutting off all the ties. Like, when was it when you decided to like let all that stuff go? Because that put you on a trajectory to become 1%. Yeah. And a lot of that was supported with the the recovery group that I was in. Mm -hmm. So I went from three months of treatment, which I got kicked out on the last month, um, (laughs) And it ended up pushing me to go into um, a sober living for 18 months. Right. And the impact that I got to have with the other men that were suffering from the exact same thing that I was suffering. In from. real time, right? Oh, At yeah. sober living. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And none of them knew how to eat. None of them knew how to cook. Um, and they they didn't know what direction to go. And so I had the opportunity to become a sponsor. I worked with other men. And in that process, I, it made me discover certain things in myself, mm. like, you know, self-hatred and different things like that because there's so many times that i'd pass by myself in the mirror and i wouldn't even look at myself right right and i'd just be like oh my hair's good i look okay cool and there's no attention to who's actually behind the eyeballs right and what's behind that and the soul that's inside Hmm. and so like i mean shoot all the way leading up to 2018 what are we 2022 2019 like there was still a lot of self-hatred for like you know, the, the, the damage that I'd put, you know, other, you know, multiple women through, yeah. you know, with my 
infidelity and stuff like that, this, the, you know, the struggles and pains that I put my kids through, that most of it's unrepairable, right? Yeah, but you feels can, like it. It does, and you can go back, um, especially with kids, because they are resilient. Mm -hmm. And what they see now is a completely different person from what I was then. Man. So when was it when you stopped to take a little bit longer of a glance at who was behind the eyes? Like, do you remember? Like, because you did, man. I, I can I can picture you like, like, man, these guys are a lot further behind the curve than even I am. And I'm curious, like, what made that leap be, be fine, like, seeing what you're capable of and then, again, creating this this business that you've got yourself involved in? Um, I would I would say, like, uh, the last time, so after my mom passed away mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago, right before COVID hit, um, you know, I had had a pretty long stretch of, of good, you know, sobriety time and productive work. Work was going well. And people started associating me with how I would perform in business. Oh, you're doing good. So everything behind that looks really good. When deep down inside, it, I was hurting and I didn't know what to do. And I never, like, I'm still trying to work through with my, you know, things with my mom and how that all worked out. And, mm -hmm. um, but 2018, 2019, when I went for my, you know, for my last DUI, um, I went to reboot and they send you out to the woods for a couple of days. And then um, a lot of, and it was just two men uh, and one other person in treatment. And so I got full attention. And um, wow. they actually, one of the things was you go sit in front of a mirror and you talk to yourself and you can't leave the room. And I spent about an hour in there and I just broke down in tears. Wow. And I'm like, do I really like who I am and what I'm putting out in this world? You know, beyond the healing, because I was helping a lot of people with food, but that was just surface. And yeah. that's what people took me as. And there's some, you know, that's not my identity. My identity is, you know, me as a human, Robert Moling, not just Robert, the entrepreneur and person that helps other people. Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to focus back on myself and actually give myself true love. Where Jeez. it's like, hey, you've done all these things, all this stuff has happened. Forgive yourself, love yourself, and move on. So set this scene for me because I'm I'm curious about that man. You'd, you'd started one percent, but you've had some hiccups. Um, you are, you're creating a lot of wealth, just, you know, not just financially, but just like, 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 you know, entrepreneur type with helping people learn how to eat, how to balance all this stuff. But yet you're still kind of in a, in a certain way, starving yourself. And so you set the scene as you're in this room, like, is it just a chair and a mirror? Like, I'm, that's what I'm picturing. Like, is that, what, what is it? Like, how do you do that? How, I mean, I can see myself pacing around that mirror. Like, what are you looking at kind of thing? Like. How did you settle in? Be like, okay, I'll play their game. And then all of a sudden, like, whoa. It was a hard conversation to have I'll with, bet. with myself because you distract, like, I distracted myself so many times with, okay, you're doing good. Your business is fine. Family's fine. Like, I'm not really present. Mm -hmm. Right. And that moment where I sat in front of the mirror and I couldn't leave and I just sat there and it took me a long while and it's in a bathroom. Mm -hmm. And so I looked up, looked down. Uh, try to distract myself, think about other things. And then it got raw and I'm like, okay, mm. eye contact, focus. You need to look at yourself and talk to Dude. yourself. And yeah. it went down the path of hatred first where it's like, oh, you've done this, like you're not worthy. And eventually it got to um, love, right? Where it's, that's what existed. And when I told myself, look, you've done all these things, you're still worthy and you love yourself. Yeah. Wow, you love yourself? That's a big deal. Um, cause for so long I hated myself and for what sure. I did. I, I can totally understand that, man. And that's one of the hardest things. I remember doing that just kind of like impromptu one day before I, before I'd met Marissa, before I'd gotten into career or anything, I was just like, dude, who am I? I'm this empty vessel. And it was the first thing that the therapist asked me. He's like, I know your problem. He's like, who are you? And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing ever. No one can answer that question. I remember being so frustrated with that. But even before that episode in therapy, I was—I remember looking at that thinking, you're just empty, man. Like, what's in there? But I remember how scary, yet to a weird degree, intriguing it was. But I can't imagine that. But you eventually got to love. Did that shock you? Like, wow, this is this is real. This is raw. It's here. Yeah, I didn't know that it existed that whole time uh, because everything, you know, you just keep moving, keep moving through life. And mm -hmm. you're the la um, most commonly your internal spirit and soul is the last thing you focus on. Exactly. And when that moment hit and I was like, you know what? You're worthy, you love yourself. And I full on conversation, like, I don't know, schizophrenic, but it was almost no. like full on conversation. Uh -huh. I'm like, Rob, you need to stop. And I, I cursed myself out and I'm like, For sure. let this shit go. Yeah. Get over it. Absolutely, man. 
yeah, that's that to me is intense. And, and listeners, if you've never tried that, I, I, I mean, Rob's talking an hour. I challenge you to five minutes. But like, I can't imagine like what happens when you start to allow yourself to become one with yourself. I mean, that's that's the pursuit, right? Become one with you before anything else. So then, Rob, why why as men, why do we avoid that kind of conversation with ourselves? Because it took me years to do it too. It took you years to do it. Why do why do men avoid that kind of emotional conversation with ourselves? I, I think it's because of the stigma. Men are supposed to be tough. Men are not supposed to cry. If you cry, you're weak. Um, if you if you show your emotions, that is a place where somebody can get you, or you know what I mean, like yeah. where you're use it against yourself. you. Yeah. Yep. See, and I, and, I, and I hear that a lot, and I'm like, and I don't think we need to be the big piling, you know, you know, ball of tears, but I also think we need to be emotionally congruent enough to be emotionally intelligent enough to, like, understand what we need. So how hard was it for you to ask for something that you needed from someone else? It's still difficult. Like, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll ask for things, but I try to figure out how I can provide it to myself so I'm not a burden on somebody else. Gotcha. What do you think of that thinking? Uh, it's terrible. I do it too. We all do it. All these guys, we we all do it. But, but that why? Because does does asking for help does it seem weak to us? Is that I mean, what is it? It's got to be. I would say yeah. It's because it's it shows a, a sign of weakness, and then that's um, uh, almost failure, right? Because and it, it's a place of failure. But the reality is, is the revelation of gratitude for failure mm-hmm. is one of the like I'm in a couple like that group that I went traveling with. And they talk about the ten, the list of ten things you're grateful for every single morning. Mm. And if you find your spa- yourself in a space of like anger or like just where you're not good emotionally, jumping back to your gratitude list and saying, "Okay, what am I grateful for?" Because mm-hmm. those things can be taken. Oh, right? easily. There's um, one of the things, and, and this is a constant battle. Like I, I still do it on a consistent basis to remind myself what I'm grateful for. And sometimes I'll even shower, like I'll do my whole entire shower with my eyes closed mm-hmm. just so I can recall why I'm grateful for my vision. Cause I could lose that at any time. Oh yeah. Random Dude, yeah. BB or whatever. Yeah. Who, who knows for sure. <clears throat> so that's the thing. So, you know, shifting gears now, uh, because I want to get to that trip too, because I'm really intrigued about what you learned uh, when I found out you were doing it and what you were doing it for. I'm like, this is, this is gonna be huge. I want to hear about this. Um, why nutrition? Why 1%? What was it about that? Because you know, I always thought, man, you're going to go into the bodybuilding and do all this other stuff. I didn't really, I mean, when you started building this, I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And it made sense to me when, 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 when Kylie came to me and like, hey, Rob's doing this. I'm like, dude, that's freaking rad. Because not a lot of people, no one was doing it when you first started that. So tell me a little bit about why that. Was it because of what you found in the men's sober living where you're like, you guys have no clue what you're doing? <laughs> what was it? What sparked that thought? Well, I, I discovered because I cooked for Kylie, for like me and my brother used to ride bikes to the store to pick with food stamps to Mm -hmm. get food for the family. We would cook. And so I learned early how to cook. Um, Hmm. As I moved forward, I I discovered that it's one of my love languages being able to provide something to somebody. Yeah. Better, better so is it also is nutritional and it helps support them and get them through life. Absolutely. And so necessity, right? We need it. Yeah. And so in the sober living, like I had seven, eight, nine guys, like, and it was a large facility and mm-hmm. I'd have just tons of dudes come down to my uh, apartment. Well, it's not really an apartment. It was like a studio apartment. With, Your space. Yeah, my <laughs> yeah. room was like a closet. Uh-huh. Um, and it, uh, like, I'd have a lot of guys come down and they would eat and they'd be like, wow, what is this? And like, I would feel good knowing, Hey, yeah, I spent my money on it, but I know that they've just had a hot meal. Yeah. And so then we did like a, a Thanksgiving event and I cooked for everybody and the gratitude that came back. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. And I was like, man, there's something here. This is cool. I feel that. And so, um, one of my, like I worked with a couple other gentlemen, um, cause my company started accidentally. I did personal mm-hmm. train first Yeah. and, um, a couple of guys jumped on and then I started having them pay for my food. And then one of my treatment counselors, Josh, he was one of my first really large transformations and he had substance abuse and meth, right? It was his mm-hmm. drug of choice. And he was able to drop 100 plus pounds um, in six months, and it completely changed his whole uh, confidence in himself, yeah. how he felt, period. Um, and he's still up there as one of the head people up at that treatment center. And so that shift in his life, because most of my life, I, you know, I spent selling things, substances. Yes. Um, because that's just the way, you know, that's when Means you need to money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so I discovered a way where I could help people instead of hurt people. 
And so, you know, as, as I've progressed over the years with the company, that's one of the major foundations is how can we help more people? And like we do a six week transformation challenge three times a year. And I get a, and this is my favorite part because I get to actually consult with uh, all, you know, all the participants, uh, you know, on my usual meals. I'm not seeing any of the customers yeah. typing on computers. And so each time we do the challenge, like I've made so many really, really good friends. That's awesome. And, and watched them, you know, transform their lives. And they're not just transforming their lives. It's the family members that are like, man, I see what you're doing. I want to jump on boards. The yeah. kids making new choices. And so I'm having, at the end of the day when I die, the impact that I have on all these different people, um, it, it's energy, right? And it yeah. keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. And so maybe five five generations down the road from now because I changed one man's life um, it may affect his great 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 grandkids yeah exactly and that's cool 100% man and that's that's why that's why I love it 1% tell me the reason why what, why the name um, so in 2013 there was a statistic that was done that said uh, 6% of the population do enough physical activity to consider themselves physically fit 6% 6% oh man and out of that 6% 1% of the population 1% of that 6% actually do it for a period of 18 months or longer mm. and so when it started it was hey we want you to be that 1% we want you to be the best and over time it's kind of evolved to a 1% modification on a daily basis will make you a much greater oh, person oh i love that Rob. that that is awesome that is cool so yeah 6% but then that 1% and if you can be that one percent consistently, that that will eventually lead up to a hundred. That's that's freaking rad. I love that. And so tell me a little bit about it. You guys, you guys, you guys make meals. You send them out. You ship them out. I've been the recipient of, of this many times. It's, it's fantastic. It's gotten it's gotten to a, a point now where it's. I mean, dude, it's so important that we pay attention to this. Why do you think so many people in addictions neglect that aspect? Oh, because it's it's difficult. It costs money. Um, Time learning curve. Yep, learning uh. curve. Uh, convenience. And in and, and, and addiction, your main focus is substance, right? Yeah. If you're a heroin addict, it's how do I get heroin? And the food comes way down the line. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was deep in substance abuse, like my, my diet consisted of Cocoa Krispies and everything sugar. Yeah. Because, again, it's another stimulation. It's totally. It's another drug. 100%. Yeah, and that's something I've got to take take heed to, and that's the thing too is like I do think listeners, if you're if you're hearing this, and we'll give Rob's information about one percent, you know, getting the diet right is crucial. I mean, because your body's been depleted from, from so many things that like, you know, and, and I'm I'm kind of one of these things where people in addiction have the yum yum gene a little bit too deep, right? It's like everything's got to taste good, smell good, be good. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to eat that. I mean, quinoa, what that crap is that, right? <laughs> but it's kind of funny because the stuff you, you're creating and you're making, man, like it is really good. And you can feel the effects of it within a day or two. Like you can feel like, man, I do feel good. And, you know, you don't need as much. You know, you know the, the portion sizes are perfect. Like I noticed that like when I was doing it, I'm like, I'm not hungry. Like you've really dialed in like these perfect kind of like instruments to like get what these people need. Experience. How long did that take to dial all that information in? Um, it, it was all, it all starts as theory and mm -hmm. then based on experience and experience and every person that I see um, that, you know, as we've progressed, I, you know, we brought in a InBody 570 so I can get more information. Mm. And the biggest thing with um, nutrition is if you can't track it, you can't improve it. True. And so that was one of the elements that I brought in. And so we started tracking people's progress. Um, and that's one, you know, it's a really big piece of it because it's it's about input, uh, input, output and intake. Right. Mm -hmm. You got to match those two up and then you can create what you want um, goal wise. Right. Right. Um, and that's you know, that's one of the processes in the step. And then just making it's making sure that it's uh, whole, natural. And it, you know, it, it will satisfy the body. So help me, help me wrap my head around this because I'm about ready to jump into this journey too. In fact, I've recruited Max. We were out in Bernal opening a chapter on the Uinta Basin or Uinta um, uh, Reservation. We have a Ute tribe that's out there, the Ute Strong tribe now. And as I was out there, I'm like, I feel like garbage. I'm like, hey, Max, we're doing this. And he, I know Max will be able to hold me accountable, right? So as we're coming up with this plan, I, I was thinking about this. Where where does someone begin? Let's say you get like that guy who's coming out of recovery, coming out, coming out of treatment, out of some kind of recovery program, and they're like, I, I, I can do 30 minutes of physical stuff. Like how do you start building that person into maybe, a, I don't say a peak athlete, but someone that can start you know, having the energy, having 
having the heartbeat and the rhythm of like progression? Because I'm curious, like, how do you build from the ground up someone? What are the, what are the, what are the building blocks of like being able to become not just physically, but, but, you know, internally healthy and to start, you know, cause there's dailies, there's all these things. If you're going to build the perfect like plan for someone, where would they start? I would say balance is the first, right? Food yeah. is one of the key elements because it's like a, a vehicle. If you mm-hmm. put bad gas in it, how's your vehicle going to run? Yeah, most done that before. Yeah, not good. Yeah, and so you know the the food that you put inside your body would be the the most uh, important. And Google's a very good uh, reference for that, or mm-hmm. any health book. You know, just balanced portions, proper food, and then secondly, joy. Right? If right. you can't find joy in the physical activity whether it's hiking, biking, basketball, um, any sport or activity that's going to get you active. Yeah. Um, it's almost like, mom, uh, what would you call it? Goal, mom, goal momentum. Yeah. It's a small thing. So a lot of people, when they come in, I'm like, okay, what are your things that you're specifically f- focusing on? One of the things that I say that's easiest is water consumption. Oh. Make sure you're getting in enough water. Track it. And as you've, it, it, what do you call that? Um, not momentum, but... As it grows, like a rolling stone, mm-hmm. it keeps or a snowball, it mm-hmm. starts gathering as a small ball, and by yeah. the time it's to the bottom of the hill, it's massive. It's huge. So if you can start with water, getting out, walking a little bit, if you know if you're completely inactive, I remember when they had the five k or mm-hmm. couch to five k. Yeah, yeah. Um, just doing things like that that get you active, and then as you start accomplishing these goals, you'll find confidence in yourself. You're like, you know what? I just did this. Checked it off. Okay, what's my next step? Okay, check it off. Gotcha. And just kind of build on that. And with the activity, I mean, walking the dog, taking your kids out on a walk, those are just small things that you can build. And then find a sport, you know, if you have kids, find a sport that they like or something that you can participate in with them. Mm-hmm. And it makes it so much easier because then your young one, who really mm-hmm. has no filters, like, Dad, why are you sitting on the couch? Get up, let's go. Let's I want to throw a football. Yeah, they're used to it. Yeah. Yeah. So you get that get that accountability around there. I think that's interesting. So then why do we why do we make it harder than it has to be? Because I've done that, Rob. I've gotten on and I've gone down Google ra- like like rabbit holes and I'm like, crap. Now I've got to do intermittent fasting, Atkins diets, all this stuff. When really it's not like that, is it? It's like to balance yourself. Uh, like you said, stay away from all that processed stuff. Like that, you're right. It's an addiction in and of itself. In fact, I think sugar addiction, Rob, is probably worse than anything else. I mean, this 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 country that we live in is rough that way, isn't it? Oh, it's bad. How, I don't think I don't think as many people realize how addicted to sugar we truly are. Do you, would you say that's true? Like we don't realize how much it runs us. Oh, absolutely. That's so crazy. So you know, you do you you create these things, and and we'll we'll put all of Rob's uh, links and stuff on this this podcast. Um, you kind of you guys you guys prepare this. You make the pre the preset mills. You send them out. Like, what do people? What, what are you hearing from people as they start utilizing this and doing it for a duration that they can see like the benefits of it? What do you hear? Lots of smiles. Lots of uh, confidence. Happiness. Um, I've, you know, I've had a wife come in and be like, you saved my husband's life. I mean, we've worked, we've done medical studies. We've worked with cancer patients, um, the whole nine yards from, you know, 12 year olds. I think our youngest was a 12 year old football player, Mm -hmm. um, all the way up to like 86 year old people. Yeah. Elderly. Um, and so like commonly it's, oh, my pants fit better. I have more energy. I look better. People are complimenting me. All those things. I I heard I heard one one uh, story of a guy um, that was doing that, and he was like I'm no longer you know pre diabetic anymore. He reversed some of that pre those pre diabetic type symptoms because he was watching what he was eating, and he became balanced. He could track it. He could track your portions better, and he knew that anything outside of that would be like, hey, be careful. And the thing was, is he said I didn't feel like I needed to eat anymore. Like. Some of us do it out of depression. We do it out of boredom, right? I mean, there's all these things. So you've got to fill those gaps with positive things. But dinner and food shouldn't be like you know, a guillotine, should it? It should be like part of us, not what we're doing, who we are. No. And what would it, about seven years ago, I worked with a, a therapist and he was obese. And one of his comments was, he's like, um, your substance abuse is very difficult because you have to go out and seek it, right? Food addiction is relatively easy because we need it to exist and to live. And then it's nobody really says anything because it's an awkward conversation. Hey, you're chubby. Um, Mm -hmm. When somebody's addicted to drugs, hey, you look like crap. You need to go get some help. So, and it's also food is celebrated around people celebrating. Oh my gosh, yes, you're right. Have two pies, have this, and everybody's trying to. Eat this, please eat this. We're on the heels of Thanksgiving, and that's like everyone's like, what pie is going to be there? We know the staples, but what pie? Yeah, man. 
And one 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 slice of pie is good. The whole pie, not so not good. so good, <laughs> dude. Yeah, but you're coming in at a perfect time, brother. But that's the thing too is like so you've got this going on. Uh, let's shift gears now because I, I I didn't know you were doing this until I asked Kylie when she came over to see the newest member of our family. We got a new little dog, and she was like, "Yeah, Rob's out there on this experience." And I'm like, "Dude, what?" And so I've been watching for your updates and stuff. I saw a few pictures you posted. Tell me about this experience you had and why you decided to go because. She said a few things, but I'm like, if I know Rob, it's for deeper reasons than just going sightseeing. Like, you know, you went for a specific purpose. Tell me about this experience you just had and maybe why m- more men should be doing these kind of things. Oh, it's it was amazing. So Samantha, my wife, essentially pushed me because I'm a fence sitter and I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss the kids. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. miss these things. I got to work. And so like a week before they were preparing to go, she says, I bought you a ticket. And I was like, OK, I don't have a passport. And so I ended up having to fly to Colorado, get my passport. And then uh, two days later, I flew out to Iceland. Um, the group is called Watt. We are the they. The whole We uh, are the they? Yep. So wow. J- Jimmy Rex is the main guy. He's put it on. Um, he used to do a lot of real estate. And then he jumped back into how can I help and give back. Mm-hmm. The concept, uh, or so he did a OUR, um, the recovery for children. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend had said, hey, <clears throat> let somebody else take care of this. I want you to be safe. And... The reality was, is he said to her, he's like, who are they? Yeah. Who are they? Because, you know, comments like, okay, they'll take care of it. Yeah. We are the they. I'm the person that's going to step up and do this. And so that's the the basis for the program. And I got to go hang out with 40 um, very successful men um, and very like-minded men that wanted to make a priority of their best, you know, best version of Mm themselves become prevalent. Mm. And so I spent six days in Iceland having really, really spiritual experiences with some pretty cool men. Um, at the very end, um, everybody gathered up and had to say five things. Or the person in the center had, you know, the group of 40 men, they got to say five things um, that they appreciated about them or looked up to them about. Mm-hmm. And so it's really cool wow. having men get that vulnerable and then be like, hey, here's a compliment. This is what I like about you, and this is what you did. Um, and so that was really one of the key elements of it. Or How was that for you, man? Awkward. I'll bet it was. But you're like, <laughs> but you, I, I could see you being like, oh, this is part of this. But all in the same breath, as they were giving you what they appreciated, like, what did that feel like? Because these are strangers at the beginning of the six days. Yeah. But I, at the end, what is it? They're brothers. Yeah. When I when I went in, I knew one, one gentleman. And the reason I started the group was because I'd seen his transformation and what he had changed to do. Like, he ended up doing an Ironman. And so... Not only do they tell each other what they like about them, you know, each other um, and support each other, but it's, hey, let's get to a next goal. Let's make you a better person. How can we become better people together? Mm-hmm. And so that's really cool because now it's community because men in general, they isolate, they get married yeah. and family becomes the main thing. Yeah. Unless you're, you know, in the church with, you know, the elders quorum mm-hmm. or if you're in the military with your guys or jail, mm-hmm. you're in jail with the dudes or gangs. Yeah. Because the biggest thing that I discovered from there is like I have a, a, a very deep um, concern to belong, right? Like I right. belong to something that's doing something. And mm-hmm. so in life is I belonged in jail. I belonged with these groups of people that did these things. I found a group of men that brought me in. And I, I knew one person when I came in and they were very inviting. They're like, hey, Rob, what's up? And, you know, it's really cool getting to start and create those connections with all these men. And they have no reason to, I mean... Had I been walking by them and, you know, on the streets passing, they would have never said anything. Exactly. But having the opportunity to connect with them for a full six days was really, really cool. I can only imagine what that would be like in a place that's kind of very overwhelming visually, too. Like, you know, when you say that to find yourself spiritually, there's in Iceland, there's a lot of spiritual, I think, connection that can be made there. What are some of the things that you notice of like, dude, this first of all, it's your first time ever leaving the country. Right. I mean. There's a lot out there, Rob. There's a lot to this world. Um, what did you think, man? You're like, dude, we're still flying. Like, holy crap. Like, there's water under us. But then you land at this place. You're like, what What stood out to you about, like, what's out there? Uh-huh. It was, like, <laughs> just uh, enormous beauty. Um, I'm a nature person, and that's mm-hmm. where I find my spirituality. We thought we had greenery here, huh? Oh, man. Not even close. Not even close. But just, like, the, like so when we went, um, Mike had booked... Like we weren't supposed to go on the on a boat or go you know any excursions, we ended up booking a 
because we got there one day early. We ended up booking a boat trip to go look for the Northern Lights, and oh we were man. the only group, uh, six of us were the only people that saw the lights. Um, and we went and took two other attempts, one by boat, one by monster truck, and nobody else saw it, um, which was really, really cool. We went um, the Dude, Blue Lagoon. What's that like? Because I've always wanted to see that. It's got to be overwhelming to like, I mean, we're, kind, we're not too far away from Alaska, but we are far away from Alaska. When you see that up there, you're like, Dude, I've read about this. I've seen these in pictures. It doesn't do it justice, does it? When you're looking up and saying, "What is that?" Yeah. It's got to be overwhelming. Like, holy crap! Oh, it was it was wild because everything was and everybody started using the word "wild," but it was as you look up and you're like, "Man, I'm really not that big compared to everything <laughs> that's out here." And the, the lights are just dancing around, and not a whole lot of people see them, and it's on a lot of people's bucket lists. Mm-hmm. And so I have a lot of gratitude for having that opportunity to be up, you know, just to look up and. Just Cause you know we go out and look at the stars. There's no there's no light pollution, and it was just beautiful. Oh my and it gosh! Was silent. We were on a boat, and you know you're just like cool. this is this is it. So you had that. What else? What else was the eye candy that really kind of connected you to like the bigger parts of you? Oh man, w- like waterfalls. There, I mean, every 20 miles or so, you see big waterfalls, just beautiful sunsets. Uh, what's really crazy is as you. So we left at 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was on a Thursday. We arrived back in Seattle at 5 p.m., same Thursday. But the whole entire flight as we're leaving started as a sunset. So I literally watched oh, about a yeah. six to seven hour sunset. That is the best. And it was so cool. Dude, we did that coming back from Orlando. It was one of the neatest things. I'm like, it was only a two hour sunset for me. But that's wild, isn't it? Like how big it really is. And when you're in addiction and you're kind of stuck in this little thing, you're stuck in a little jail cell, you think that's your world. What is your tip to that person that's like, this is as good as it gets. Like this little six by six cells, as good as it gets. It is not. I'm close. There's huh? so much more out there. It just—it's a matter of opening your eyes. Did you come back a changed person? I did. You seem—you seem calm. You seem focused. I mean, you're—you're you're what? How many days post trip now? Uh, about ten. Okay, and you're still feeling that like wow. Oh yeah. So what's on your bucket list now? You've—you've you've clicked some of those off. You've got—you've got now the mind, the heart, the ability to to do some more bucket list items. What else is out there? Germany's definitely one of them. Um, Egypt is another one. Nice. I want to kind of go see, you know, the pyramids and what was created and not the aliens or whatever, but yeah. to, to kind of see what, you know, what other people went through and, you know, how they live because the culture mm-hmm. over there is completely different than the culture Absolutely. here. Um, people are, are, you know, a lot more friendly and open and inviting out there. And if you tip somebody, they're they think you're weird. <laughs> They're like, don't give me your money. Yeah. This is the price. What are you doing? I hear that kind of stuff, and it's kind of funny. I remember the first time I went out of country, went to Brazil, and I remember seeing like the Statue of Christ, and I'm like, dude, I've seen this on TV and something like this is weird. So how do we know it's really there until you put your hand on it, right? Until you smell it, until you you know you kind of drink it in. Um, we limit ourselves in addiction, don't we? Like we do, we take things for granted. We think that trip, that next high is just going to be the best. It doesn't compare to standing out on a boat in the middle of some ocean looking at those lights, does it? Like it doesn't hold candles to it. Not even close. That's so crazy. So I, I think that's kind of, I don't know, listeners, that's kind of what, what Rob's talking about here. Um, as you've gone through this discovery, the self-discovery of you, what have you noticed about yourself that you didn't notice when you started this whole journey? Like what's Rob mulling about? I think um, gratitude is one of the biggest things in that we have a very short window of life, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. going to die at some point in time. Yep. It's a matter of what you do in between now and then, and it's very limited. So do I want to not show gratitude for what's been given to me, this opportunity to live and experience? And if I do, that's almost insulting to yeah. whoever created me, right? Exactly. And so I want to experience everything raw, sober, because there's so many, like I'd been on family vacations, Thanksgivings, things like that, mm-hmm. um, intoxicated. And I don't remember most of it. You miss there's it. no emotion and there's nothing that fills the soul inside of that. Um, many Christmases intoxicated. Yeah. I don't remember any of them. Um and the ones that I've spent sober and the ex- excursions that I've done sober, because I've spent a lot of in-state travels with my family. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I can remember them. Yeah. And I, it's not just a picture and a, oh, hey, do you remember this? It's, hey, I can actually remember this. And not just the act of going, but the actual feeling that I had with the people yeah. while I was there. Dude, I remember when, when Marissa and I were starting to date before we got married, we took a trip to, to, to Los Angeles. I remember we went to the went to the beach for the very first time. We saw the ocean for the first time. And I remember thinking, 
dude, I'm 22 years old. It's the first time I'm seeing this, the first time I'm putting my feet in this. And I'm thinking, it really wasn't that hard to get here. So what the hell, parents, right? Like, come on. And I remember thinking, I got to have my kids experience this. And that's one of the coolest things. The very first time I got to have all my kids there, and they just felt the ocean at their age. Because you know, to us, that would have been like, can you imagine at like you know, 9, 10, 11 going to the ocean? Can you imagine? Like, what is this? Um, or skiing or whatever. Like, when you do that now with your kids and you show them these things, like, what does that do for you? Because you didn't get that stuff. No. What's that like for you? They Seeing light, it through their eyes. They light up. Oh, yeah. It's cool. It's, it's uh, when we're born, we get to see everything is new, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get stuck in that path where it's like, oh, had this before, done this before, not too cool. Mm-hmm. When you get to watch them experience and their eyes light up and they're like, wow, this exists. This is real. Um, it, there's a feeling inside of you where it's just like, wow. I helped create this and I made this possible. Yeah. That same feeling you had looking at the Northern Alliance, same feeling you had stepping foot on another, on another place outside of the continental U S I think that we've got to do that stuff, Rob, to keep us from, from getting, I think typecast and stuck. Don't we, we got to have first new things. We, we got to stop being afraid of what's out there. Don't you think? Yeah. Cause if you're too afraid, you're never going to experience one of the other experiences that we did. And I spooked myself. So I, I got scuba certified and I've done one open dive in Hawaii. Oh, man, yeah. And it's next level. And so we weren't able to scuba, but we were able to snorkel because you have to have a certain amount of dry suit certifications. Mm-hmm. And just before I went, I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. My body's going to lock up. It's too cold. Yeah. I got in the water, and it was nothing what I built it up to be. Really? Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, my face got cold. My hands got cold. But just looking down where uh, Eurasia meets America and the Continental Divide. and The line. Yes, and it's clear water for miles. Maybe not miles, but it's a good distance. And just seeing and just being like, wow, I can overcome this. But it's it's so brand new. So when I got my scuba cert, I was terrified. You know, I had a couple of experiences with that. And what what I realized from that is, it's a whole new, like, like Little Mermaid sings. Yeah. A whole new world. Whole new world. Everything in there was exciting. I'm, I was like a, a five-year-old, you know, just experiencing something for the first time. I was looking around. My attention was, eb- you know, my attention was specifically focused on that. Nothing else in the world mattered except yes. exactly what that. you're doing. Um, but when I was in Hawaii, um, you're about 40 feet deep, and you can't just pop all the way back up to the top. Yeah, you got to go slower. Yeah. got kind of an odd-shaped forehead, and so my goggles yeah. didn't fit. And so you have to overcome. It's almost like a meditation where you have to find your center, mm-hmm. calm yourself down through breath and realize, hey, everything's going to be okay. I'm in control of this. And then you move on. Yeah. But, so I went down twice in Hawaii. The, um, the second time I went down without failures of the goggles, I was able to center myself. And the things that I saw, like I saw a turtle and things were just beautiful. And I was like, man, I've never seen this before. Because before, I, you know, when I was on the, uh, in the ocean, in the water, I didn't want to go further than 10, 15 feet because I'm like, what's under me? Dude, what's, yeah. What's under there? And then once you have the opportunity to see that it's really not that scary, you're like, man, I built up a lot of hype behind nothing. Oh, man. <laughs> we do that so much in life, too, don't we, brother? We're, we we always catastrophize the absolute worst. Then we experience it. And we're like, well, that wasn't too bad. So why waste time focusing on the stuff that's probably never going to happen or, or, or psyching ourselves out? Like, like you know what? Uh, you know, recovery is going to be too hard. You know, sobriety isn't going to be as fun or whatever. Like that's all lies, man. Until you experience it, until you see it, until you dip your toes in it, you don't really know. Oh yeah. I don't, we don't, we don't give ourselves enough opportunity to do new things. Yeah. And it's like, nobody's going to like me if I'm sober. I'm going to, I had convinced myself so many times I operate better when I'm intoxicated. I can get so much. Oh, more yeah. Yeah. I've said that. I, I remember saying that myself, man, I'm a better person. I'm, I'm more jovial, whatever. It's all <laughs> lies, man. I, again, but I think, listeners, if you're not getting anything from this, get this. And that's what Rob's saying. Go out there. It doesn't matter what age you are and see something new. Those peak experiences, you know, they're they're not going to be had in your room. Like, you've got to get out. I mean, you say that, too. It's like, well, people go out there and they see the Northern Lights maybe all the time. But do they appreciate it still? We go out see these mountains right behind us all the time. Um, I think people that have those addictions, those things, where they start seeing gratitude and everything we do, I always look at the mountains. I'm sure you do. I always, when it's night at time, look up at the stars. Like what, what Rob's saying is don't take anything for granted because it can get taken away. You know, and that gratitude list should be more than 10 items, you know, but at least start with that, right? Oh, yeah. 
And I, I refresh my 10 every single day and I, I love try it. not to add the same ones on. But I'm really grateful for my family. Yeah. And, you know, in relationships, most people with their partner, once the you know boyfriend or girlfriend leaves, they don't care until the person leaves. And they're like, oh, man, I really want you back. Come back. Yeah. Well, why didn't you appreciate it when you when had you it? had it? Exactly, man. That's like anything in life. So don't take it for granted. I love that message, brother. And, and I love the fact that you've been able to share those experiences with us. Um, and so how do people get in touch with 1%? What's what's the, the best way to see what you got going over there? Because I, I do want people to check that out because, man, it's a, it's a good thing. I've, I've enjoyed it. So Instagram, uh, 1% Fitness, mm-hmm. number one, and then percent fitness spelled out. Um, 1%fit.com is our website. Um, I am... I, I love having people come in and meeting new people and helping them devise how to get to where they want to go. Brilliant. So I always, when somebody comes in, I'm like, here, first one's on me, enjoy the meal. If it makes sense, then let's work together. If it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense, let me give you some knowledge. Yeah. If, as long as I can provide something from our interactions, that's, you know, that's, that's what you've done for me, man. I mean, I had to go on this elimination diet. I'm like, this makes zero sense to me. And so for like three weeks, four weeks, I remember just like flooding you guys with stuff. And it came and it was fantastic. And I'm like, okay, now I can learn. And that's what it's about. It's about learning how to take care of yourself that way. And and you guys, we do. We we neglect our nutrition so much. It's such a big thing. I mean, without the proper nutrition, you couldn't even been out there doing all that stuff. You know, we would never have had the energy to. No, and, and the thing is, is you don't have to be perfect. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be seven days a week. I'm counting my calories every single time. It's a balance, right? Like 80% of the time, because I have kids, mm-hmm. and I still eat, you know, Rice crispy or Cocoa Krispies yeah. occasionally, but it's not every single meal like when I was in addiction. It's not nine bowls in a row. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes when we try to go cold turkey like that too, you know, the all or nothing thinking, Dude, that messes us up. You know, we're a lot more complex creatures than we think. Listeners, you've been well fed. Rob, thanks for taking some time out today, man. This is going to be, the, I know, the first, but many more to come because uh, there's we haven't cracked the surface yet. But listeners, check the check these websites out. Jump on board. See what Rob's got going on at One Percent Fitness. Follow, and uh, yeah, we'll probably see if we can get you in here to have a little conversation with the athletes themselves, even personally, sometime soon. We'd love to have you guys come in and and uh, show them what you've got. But more so than that, athletes, really take care of yourself. Go try something new. I, I want you guys to take Rob's advice. And for the next couple of days, I want you guys to you know, jot down the you know, 10 things, maybe for at least seven days, to 10 different things every day that you're grateful for. Um, I see a lot of people doing that on Facebook right now because it is November. But um, share those with the people that you love and, and prove to yourself that you can do it. There's a lot of stuff to be appreciated out there and gratitude lists that can be made that, like he says, goes well beyond 10. But athletes, until next time, please continue to turn that mess of addiction into the message of sobriety. We would like to thank our Patreon subscribers. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon, check out patreon.com backslash addicttoathlete. There you can see our fundraising platforms and gain access to all of our bonus episodes and receive exclusive A to A swag. We'd like to thank our super fans, Karen Hardy, Steve Riggs, Tracy Whitby, Jerem Thurston, Tara Butson, Holly Davies, Scott Foster, Brett Frew, Chris Williams, and Sensei KP Brown. Then our rookie levels, Sione Mary Inuk, Sherry Poulsen, and Earl Dyer. Pro level, Andrew Baird, Wendell Wood, and Gary Thurston. And champion level subscribers, the Robison family, and Ron and D. Loesch. Thank you all. Check out patreon.com.